Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Right on, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. This is David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show on 670 The Score, Dan Weeder. From the Chicago Tribune, covers the Bears, and also works for 670 The Score. We are here this off-season week, just the the last time that we'll have uh, an off-week this season. And certainly, Dan, it's going to be weird the first time in a long time. We've not had football to look forward to over the weekend. Well, you're, you're, you're shooting down the Pro Bowl so, so quickly. Oh, that's right. It is the Pro Bowl. <laughs> but is that a game, or is it those just activities? Those are flag, kind of activities. Flag football. Flag football. Flag football. Yeah, and and so I think you know the, the, there's still some uh, obvious some some staff moves being made. There's some coaches being hired. Dan Quinn hired in Washington. You've got uh, Mike uh, McDonald and uh, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Kind of a surprise there. The big news, Dan. Let's start here because I don't think we've talked about it on this podcast. But your reaction to Ben Johnson returning to the Lions as offensive coordinator? Yeah, my reaction was whoa, <laughs> because I think the assumption really since. Uh, around Thanksgiving was that Ben Johnson was the hottest candidate in this cycle, that there were going to be uh, more than a half dozen openings to, to choose from. There ended up being eight, and, and he wound up choosing to stay with the Detroit Lions. And the last time that a coach chose to stay with the Detroit Lions rather than take an upward mobility uh, coaching move is never. Uh, and so you've got a, a coach here that obviously is – striving and, and citing unfinished business to try to finish off the deal for the Detroit Lions and get them to the Super Bowl. But you also have a guy that probably sees um, a window of opportunity that should stay open for him. If he doesn't have any sort of notable regression with his Lions team and his Lions offense in 2024, there's going to be a whole nother wave of jobs open next cycle. And you'd have to imagine that he'd be a, a prominent candidate on that list as well. But for the Bears' sake, it's it's a whoa moment because it, it is one of those things where we expected the Lions to have to readjust and reconfigure and have to go through some uh, obstacles to, to sustain their success. And they won't have to do that. We expected the Jared Goff regression. We expected the step back in offensive production because Ben Johnson wouldn't be there to out scheme every defensive coordinator in his path. And now he's back. I, I think I found myself reacting honestly. Everyone has the right to navigate his own career. Yeah. But I was surprised, and I think that I looked at it from the standpoint of their 32 jobs. Not all of them are created equally, and certainly not all of them are great opportunities. And there's 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 fraught with they're fraught with peril, right? As they say, 
Washington might not have been a great situation. Uh, Seattle might not have offered the job. But, Dan, I don't know that you can count on if you're Ben Johnson. I wouldn't want to take the risk that I'm going to be just as attractive and appealing and the things are going to fall into place as well as they are now a year from now. Things change. It's the NFL. You don't know that you're going to be the hot coordinator next year. Uh, somebody else may fill that role. So I was surprised that a 37-year-old with a chance to become a head coach in the NFL passed on that opportunity. I, I understand the surprise, and I do agree with you that there are times in this league where uh, someone's name is is a hot head coaching prospect, and then five years later, they're nowhere to be found. And you're like, well, what happened? You know, where did that go sideways? Um, that said, I do think that there is something to to – trying to find an opportunity, particularly when you're as young as Ben Johnson is, that that feels like the right fit for you. And it's okay to bet on yourself. It's okay to be choosy. And now you just have to back it up and, and make sure that you keep yourself in that mix when, when the time comes. And obviously um, did a good job this year, particularly in the playoffs of compartmentalizing and going through a whole wave of job interviews, but still doing a pretty good job of coordinating that Lions offense through the, uh, through the month of January, through the, the three postseason games that they played. The other nuggets of news have come out of maybe the Senior Bowl week uh, of practice in Mobile, Alabama. Kerry Joseph talked to reporters. You get a sense of who he is. There are a lot of prospects down there that, that Bears fans and draft Knicks are looking at. The big center from Oregon that has maybe played himself or practiced his way into the first round. All kinds of receivers and defensive backs and, and edge rushers. But we'll wait and see. What happens, Dan? I think the one thing that is interesting as we continue to examine every morsel of information and look for clues in the Caleb Williams, Justin Fields debate in Chicago, Albert Breer from MMQB uh, reported in a mailbag that he thinks that that's a higher percentage uh, that the Bears of a chance that the Bears will keep the draft pick and take Caleb Williams. But he added that. If the Bears are going to trade Justin Fields, he would expect it to be by early March. We know Ryan Poles acted quickly last year. I wonder if that is realistic. You also have to remember the league year doesn't start until closer to mid-March. You can agree on deals, but they're not official until the league year starts. But I wonder what your reaction was to, number one, that reporting. And secondly, what would be the logic behind going sooner rather than later. So I look like I'll start here in a below the surface level where I think it's very important to choose words properly here. And I don't know that reported is the right verb in this case. I think it was, uh, you know, said or, or <laughs> guessed in a mailbag. Okay. Um, Cause I think it is important to distinguish between what is someone's kind of uh, educated okay. opinion and something that is as thoroughly reported out. Albert Breer, obviously um, you know, had to deal with some blowback in December when he had in a mailbag said that Kevin Warren was looking to, to basically get his fingerprints all over all the decisions uh, that the bears were going to make with their coaching staff and their general manager position when the season ended. And that ended up not being the case. And Albert uh, essentially said like, look like you got to be able to distinguish between something that, that I answer in a mailbag and something that I report out with sourced information and things it's harder and harder to do these days. So I'll just put that out there first. I do think that the timeline is, sensible but it may not be fully practical for some of these teams that may be interested in Justin Fields as we've talked about previously the teams that are in the market for a quarterback have to explore what their options are for a quarterback and unless Justin Fields is the top choice for several teams some of these teams as we've talked about may want to 
go through the draft process and figure out what they think about the quarterbacks in this draft. And if you sit there and you go, well, wait a second, um, we really like Justin Fields, but now that we're doing our homework on the quarterback class, there's a guy that could be the fourth or fifth quarterback off the draft board. We could get him in the mid teens. We could, you know, finagle our way up there and, and and find our way into a different situation. You've got to explore that. And so I think all of these things with these trade talks are, are fluid because they're so dependent on individual teams, their desires, um, the things that they have at their disposal to work with. And then it's just all about when push comes to shove. And that's always a guessing game in this league because sometimes it happens earlier than you expect. Sometimes it happens later. It's a very good point and very well put and, and shame on me because I do know better and reporting and speculating or suggesting, you know, it is about the semantics and it is about the word choice and the verb choice. And I know guys like Albert Breer, who have been around a very long time, do choose their words very carefully as they should because they know and, and I should know. So it wasn't reported. It certainly is more informed speculation as anything and i think that's that's it's smart still notable it's still notable, it's still notable because it, it, if it's the if it's a con in the context of league conversations and things he's hearing then i think you want to brace yourself for that possibility i also think that there will be teams out there there could be a team out there that wants to get its own quarterback situation settled before going into free agency so they know what they have what they maybe can or can't spend on and what they're going to do to prepare for the draft. Yeah. So in that case, you kind of have to go through every division and figure out what, what is the quarterback stability at each given franchise and, and how motivated would they be to react quickly rather than play the waiting game on some of this and, and sort through it. Obviously teams are not going to be able to get into the practice setting until May. And so you've got time to, to figure those things out. I would say this, that one of the sentiments that seems to have mushroomed up this week as league folks have gathered together in mobile, Alabama and you're kind of hearing it from a lot of different pockets is the the consensus and again it's just an educated guess by people around the league that the Bears are going to take a quarterback at number one yeah. there seems to be less and less momentum uh, built up in the direction of oh well you got to give Justin one more crack in in year four and and see what what he can do with it as opposed to okay there's a pretty good quarterback class here there's a pretty good quarterback at the top of that class right now by most accounts and the sentiment around the league is that the bears uh presumably will will take what has been put in front of them and not get too cute with it and take the top prospect in in caleb williams and i think that will only continue daniel jeremiah the uh scott really good analyst from the NFL network. We've talked about him before. He's the one who coined the term confetti test. Uh, yeah. He was quoted as recently as Thursday afternoon as saying he expects the bears to take Caleb Williams and those kinds of things will just continue to be out there to be kind of digested by bears fans like it or not. You know, this is probably the way that they're likely to go, but there's so, still a lot of time left. Yeah. While we're on this topic, I'm just going to give you a little tease here and it'll, it'll push people toward Chicago tribune.com on Friday for a, a progress report that we did on Justin Fields. We've talked about it previously on this podcast before the season started, we set out statistical goals for Justin Fields across seven categories, passing yards, ball security, durability, sacks, explosive plays, clutch play, direct direction, juice and momentum as the last one. And I went through and, and, and looked at the goals that we set, which remember, these were goals that were modest goals. They were goals that were supposed to be checkpoints that would have convinced Ryan Poles and his front office staff and Maddie Rafflus and his coaching staff to stay the course with Justin Fields if he was able to meet a majority of these. And in the 12 statistical goals uh, that we set out for Justin Fields, I had four failed to meet expectations, four needs improvement, and four met expectations, zero exceeded expectations. And so you have your little report card that you bring home at the end of the year and your parents look at it and they go, wow, 
you know, this this wasn't quite as sufficient as we wanted. And again, those goals were set, not at a level that would have put Justin in the MVP conversation, because you and I were uh, among the first to say that talk was outlandish back in the summer. Well, now you, you go through it. I'll give you an example of one. You know, Justin talked about being the first Bears quarterback in team history to throw for 4,000 yards in a season. He didn't pass 2,000 until Christmas Eve. Okay. We talked about having at least seven games a season with 225 passing yards and at least three with 300 plus. Well, he had three games with 225 passing yards and only one with 300 plus. You know what the sack rate has been. You know what the fourth quarter rating has been. When you look at that and you use kind of that objective sober lens to go over that report card, I don't know how Ryan Poles and the group at House Hall could look at it any differently and say, Boys, we need to ha- start having to talk about what our quarterback board looks like. And I think that for people who will hear that and read that when it comes out on Friday uh, morning, they'll quickly add, well, you know, he missed he missed some games. He was injured. Five That's, games he was injured. But that was part of the equation. Durability. That was improvement. Of, we set the goal at 15 starts. He made 13. <laughs> so that that's all part of the uh, equation when you look at uh, being around guys like Jared Goff, for example, you look at his durability over the years, and, and that's what you're looking for: 15, 16, 17 games a year, season in, season out. Let me let me give you this last one because this was another one that I think is worth uh, emphasizing on this podcast. Justin finished the the 2023 season getting sacked 44 times with a 10.6 percent sack rate. He was improved down the stretch and it was 8.7% sack rate over his final seven starts, but he was 31st in the league ahead of only Zach Wilson and Ryan Tannehill in sack rate. His sack rate again was 10.6%. Tyson Bajan, the games that he played, sack rate of 3.4%. Over three seasons, Fields has a sack rate of 12.4% and the six other Bears quarterbacks that have played during that span have a sack rate of 6.0%. So Justin has been more than twice as likely to be sacked playing with the same supporting cast and the same offensive line as six other quarterbacks, which include Tyson Bajan, Tim Boyle, Nathan Peterman, Andy Dalton, and and (laughs) Trevor Simeon, and at least one other. You know that if you have that information and access to it, the Bears do too. And that's the thing is that we're not not going – we're not looking – you're not unearthing things that that aren't at the disposal for everybody making – or trying to make an objective – uh, form an objective opinion on, on the quarterback situation. And you're not piling on. It's just out there to be gathered. Yeah, no question. And so, look, like I, it was it was illuminating for me to go back and look at the the goals we set and then see, you know, the categories that he did meet them in. He he, he did uh, pretty well. Well, obviously, rushing yards was we, we, we set a modest bar there, and, and he met that perfectly right where we wanted him to be. Um, the, the interception and fumble totals came down this year to a level that that was uh, that gave you some some encouragement. And then the explosive completions pretty much dead on. We asked for 45 completions of at least 20 yards and at least seven touchdown passes from outside the red zone. He got exactly 45 explosive completions and eight touchdown passes from outside the red zone. So that was a category where he met expectations and showed that growth that we were looking for. So check that out Friday in the Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com, the Justin Fields report card, if you will progress report and there will be some uh very enlightening numbers and information hey everyone this is brett boone would you know it i've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year tune in as i sit down with my friends some of the biggest names in sports media entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations as you know baseball's been my life it's been in the family for a long time but it's a lot more than that here it's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track 
Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's take a look back. Speaking of the season that was, this is going to be a fun look back at our preseason predictions. You have pulled several categories. I am going to be ready to cringe at some of our reactions and see how good or bad we were. I'll let you take it from here. We have different categories to look at. Our preseason predictions from August or September of 2023 early september and so look like we did this last year it was a lot of fun so we brought it back this year we had uh predictions for uh the bears and the uh nfl at large just a half dozen categories that we went through i thought it would be good to revisit those and then listen to some of the audio that we had in early september and then react to it in live action so the first category was the bears record uh Producer Adam Stadzinski thought the Bears were going to go eight and nine, which we were really impressed at the time that Adam held it in and set a realistic bar for the Bears and was able to do that. Uh, And you and I, David, both predicted the Bears to finish at seven and ten. The Bears final record was seven and ten. Here's a little bit of uh, a listen back to what we had to say at the time. It wins seven to nine games. That's a drastic improvement from a season ago when they were the worst team in football, like that would mean they got to the middle of the league. But what I'm really looking for is a, a, a win late in the season, or maybe even like three quarters of the way through the season where you say, I can see where they're going. Like I can see where they get good from where they are now. And maybe it's a win against like Detroit in December or something like that. Or maybe it's a win in green Bay to end the season where you say, yes, I can see it. I can see see where they're going and how they've improved and that a year from now we can predict playoffs. So hopefully eight wins, but I'm really looking for that, that one little thing. I know that's a very specific ask. Hmm. So David, you, you and I both got the record, right? And then studs can take his victory lap here on getting that December win over Detroit. That showed us where this team could potentially go. Yeah, I know that. You did. I'm not going to lie. I know that. I actually <laughs> totally forgotten that I specifically – I remember saying most of that, but I, I totally forgot that I specifically mentioned Detroit in there. So, yeah, that was pretty good on my part. I'm not going to lie. Did you think that 8-9, when they started 0-4, that was going to look really <laughs> ridiculous as a prediction? <laughs> uh, no. No, I didn't think so. Because when they started 0-4, I – I was I I was maybe it was just optimism. I was like, they can't possibly look this bad all season. And and their record and their and their and their and you know, as we saw, their schedule really lightened up. So yeah. I think about picking them to go seven and ten is that when they go seven and ten, you kind of do lose some of the right to to rant and to rave about how oh this is terrible, this is awful, they need to change everything because they're exactly where you thought they would be. You're right. You're right about that. And then, so then you have to kind of filter through and get to the nuance and figure out where the areas of improvement need to be and and what they need to do next. Um, The second category that we talked about in early September was the Bears MVP. We were unanimous on this one. We all thought that DJ Moore was going to be the guy that came in and carried this team uh, to the MVP levels for the Bears' sake. 
uh, when the season began. And I think we probably would all agree at the, as the season ends that that, that probably uh, registers as an MVP. We obviously Montez Sweat and, and DJ uh, and Jalen Johnson have something to say in that conversation. But here's a little bit of what we had to say about what DJ Moore could mean to the Bears back in September. Look at that catch that he made against the Bills in the preseason finale. It's a basic play. Find a spot in the zone. Catch it 15 yards down the field. Oh, now you're surrounded by three defenders. Okay, spin out the back door. Get 24 more yards. Like we're gonna, we're gonna see a lot of that from DJ yeah, this year. I, I I know I can't disagree because he is the most predictable offensive player. He's got to stay healthy. He can more than any other person in that locker room make Justin Fields better. Not Pretty bad. Easy. Pretty easy choice. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that you always worried about was the guy you expect to play the biggest role coming through and avoiding injury to play the biggest role. And he had a career year, um, should have been probably rewarded with the Pro Bowl selection, speaking of the Pro Bowl, but uh, maybe next year. I, I think you could have made the argument, but there were some really good numbers from really good receivers. So D.J. Moore, guy has to settle for being the Bears MVP, not a Pro Bowler. And now he gets to reunite with Chris Beatty, his new receivers coach, who he had some experience with at Maryland back in his uh, college days. So that'll be nice to see. Our third category was breakout player for the Bears in 2023. David went with first-round draft pick Darnell Wright. Studs and I went one round lower and took cornerback Tyreek Stevenson in this category. Both of us were bullish on what Stevenson had shown uh, through training camp in the preseason. And uh, here's some of the, the the commentary from back in the late summer about what Tyreek Stevenson could be to this team. Originally written down Kyler Gordon and thought, oh, you know what, That's he's probably too uh, advanced right now to be considered a breakout player in 2023. And I wrote down Tyreek Stevenson. I've got a piece coming uh, in, in FridayChicagoTribune.com on Tyreek Stevenson. Love the way that this kid approaches things. He started off his his, uh, his youth career as an offensive lineman uh, transitioned over to linebacker and then they needed him in a pinch to play cornerback and he said his first year of playing cornerback in high school he got tortured and what did it make him do? It made him say, I want to be the best cornerback there is. And that tells you the wiring of this dude. He didn't run from failure, just as he hasn't run from failure during training camp, during preseason games. When he makes mistakes, he gets himself back up, and he plays with an aggression and a confidence mindset that is going to be helpful. Look, there's going to be bumps in the road this season for him. No question about it. There's going to be days where you go, man, that's a bad penalty. That's a bad coverage bust, and it just cost us. But that guy is going to be trending in the right direction to become a long-term starter in your secondary Amos Studs, Tyreek Stevenson. That's a good call. Trending in the right direction with an NFC Defensive Player of the Week award late in the year, right? That's a, a, a perfect uh, piece of evidence of, of a trending in the right direction call. Well, let's face it. it they don't have any guarantee that Jalen Johnson is returning. Right now, that's likely. It's a definite maybe. They could tag him. What if they do? we know he's coming back for sure? The point is that. Tyreek Stevenson right now is a starting cornerback and he, you know, he was in that capacity for much of his rookie season, but he's gotten to the point where you say those things and you don't really worry because he has earned the trust and he's playing at a very high level for a rookie. Yeah, and so that should uh, continue to bear out as we go forward. We offered our most disappointing prediction in in September of who the player that would uh, kind of fall short of expectations uh, would be in 2023. I'll take an L here because I picked Tevin Jenkins, worried about the injury that kept him on injured reserve for the first month of the season. He came back and played really, really well for much of the season. David went with Khalil Herbert, which I think you could make an argument was a pretty good pick for, for how he produced uh, in the third year of his uh, stay with the Bears. And and Studs had a hunch 
Studs took Darnell Mooney, and he just had a hunch that, that, that there was just something that wasn't going to add up for Don, Darnell Mooney in 2023. Here's what Studs had to say there. I'm going to go with Darnell Mooney. I don't know why. I just don't have a good feeling about the kind of se- season he's going to have. And I, I, maybe it's just because I want to see him in a game and prove that he's healthy. Uh, but I, I just don't I, – and I can't really put a reason on why I feel this way. But I just – I feel like he's going to have a disappointing season. So that's, that's all I got to say about it. Like Darnell Mooney is – and maybe, and hopefully, it's not so bad that they don't even bother extending him. But I mean, I just don't have a good feeling about it. I don't know why. Good call. <laughs> I, I, you, you probably never taken such little glee in being right. <laughs> yeah, I like, and I, I even remember just like trying to think of a most disappointing player and being like, I, again, as you heard, just a hunch about Darnell Mooney, but I didn't think it would be as bad as it ended up being like, like you heard me say, like I was hoping it wouldn't be so bad. They're not going to extend them, but now I don't think there's any chance he's back next season. So fascinating yeah. stuff coming up for Darnell Mooney as he walks into potentially free agency in, in a month to figure out what the market is for him. I would imagine that he'd probably be half having to play on some sort of prove it deal in 2024. I also think there's a lot of people around the league that think he has a potential to have a quick bounce back and a new scenery and a new offense and and, and with a uh, a structure around him that that allows him to show off his gifts. It'd be really interesting to see where he goes in 2024. One more question about Mooney. Do you think that you, you mentioned the new receivers coach, Beatty, you have a new offensive coordinator, you have, you know, a new direction offensively, potentially with a new quarterback. Could Ryan Poles, who values the work ethic and professionalism, let's face it, Mooney, had one game where he talked about being lackadaisical, but he's not been a locker room problem. Could they give him a prove-it deal? Could he be on a shorter-term deal with the team that drafted him and try to re, re, you know, invigorate his career? Theoretically, yes. But then, you know, one-year prove-it deals usually uh, land in the player's lap with the player choosing uh, amongst where he wants to go, you know, and he may want a new set of scenery, particularly if it means restarting completely uh, here in Chicago. So we'll see where that goes. Okay, because the name of the podcast is Take the North, we always pick who's going to take the North when the season begins. Uh, You two guys were were drinking the purple Kool-Aid back in uh, August and September, thought the Vikings were going to repeat as champs. I tried to warn you. I tried to warn you that there was a group over in Motown that was going to do things. Here's the uh, discussion about the Detroit Lions and their prospects for 2023. Does prove my point here, David, because when you talk to people uh, everywhere, and and in particular in Detroit, the only knock that people can come up up with for this year's Lions is that they're the Lions. It's the helmets they wear. It's the jerseys they wear. It's the organization they plan. I get it. I totally understand it. January 5th, 1992. Think of where you were on that day. That's the last time the Detroit Lions won a playoff game. So Studs makes perfectly <laughs> rational arguments about prove it. Uh, you know, I'm the see it to believe it guy. He's he's making the argument. See it to believe it. I get it. I understand it. But they look like the class of this division. Roster-wise, talent-wise, depth-wise, the direction they're headed. Last season's finish was, was significant in terms of uh, the momentum that Dan Campbell and that group wanted to build with culture. And I think it's going to carry over obviously in a division that doesn't have Aaron Rodgers anymore. And they are going to go ahead uh, win 11 or 12 games and, and and take this division. Good call. Taking a little bow here. Taking a little Good bow. Good call. Yeah, that's a very, very nice bow. Um, I also might remind you that I know they did win the division and they did win a playoff game. And 12 games. But the reason they're not in the Super Bowl is because 
They're the lions. They're the lions. Okay. <laughs> they they made they they brought back lionsing as a verb for one afternoon in San Francisco, or else they'd be playing in the Super Bowl. They blew a lead and they reverted to form. And I, re- I, I just want to add on that I still can only pick a team with Jared Goff as their quarterback to go so far. <laughs> I I really like that's about the limit right there, what they did this year. Until I see it. Until I see it. I know he's played in the Super Bowl before, but <laughs> he had the whole dive down, and he's, he's, got a, he's got a clear limit. The Bears turned him over like seven times this year. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, and, and, and Ben Johnson has belief in him and has some unfinished business to stay with in, in Detroit. So we'll see where that goes. So that leads us to the Super Bowl because the Lions-Lionsing allowed me to get my NFC champion correct. I had uh, a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl pegged when the season began, so I get a half credit. Uh, Studs went with Bills and Eagles with the, the Eagles winning it all. David, you also had the Eagles winning it all against the Bengals. And so we were kind of trying to figure out who was going to be on the, the Vegas stage on the, the last Sunday of the season and really only got the 49ers out of that grouping there. But I thought it was notable to hear the discussion we had as we were sorting through all that. And another comment by Studs that just kind of sat there in the air for four months. And here's a listen to that. I think the Eagles in the NFC will beat the Bengals in the AFC. And I'm not picking the Bills again because I think if you check back the last five years, I think I picked the Bills to get out of the AFC. So I'm not doing that again. I had them last year. I think I had Bills Cowboys last year or something like that. But uh, right. yeah, I get it. It's tough. It's a tough exercise. It's really tough. In the, that AFC is absolutely stacked. And we don't even know where our guy It's guys, like the AL East friend, of the AFC. Friend of the you know, podcast, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Where does his season end? Well, yeah, in, in the, in the, the ridiculous thing is none of us picked the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs, which means they'll probably win it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Studs, I think you win this round. You, you got three of the predictions. Pretty much right on the nose. I, 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 that last line just that was great. That was just great because here we are. Well, yeah, I and I think that everyone probably learned it. Like everyone, not just here on the pod, but like in the NFL, like we probably we all learned a lesson this year, right? Like stop picking against the Chiefs no matter what. As long as that guy's there and he's healthy, then just just put them in the Super Bowl and be wrong if they're not there. Like that's that's my prediction. I can already tell you my, my prediction next year for the AFC Chiefs in the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, it's like Jordan with the Bulls. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. that's you, exactly what it is. Daring people to pick against him and, and the team, and it doesn't really matter the supporting cast, the, the superstars, those guys who transcend everything else, find a way to persevere and make their team a championship caliber team. And this you're seeing it this year. The Chiefs really – aren't that good at all their spots. They've got Travis Kelsey. They've got a pretty good defense. They've got a really good defensive coordinator. The receivers are pedestrian. The running backs are above average, but offensive lines protecting Mahomes. But it's all about Patrick Mahomes. No question. And, and stepping up to those moments and, and meeting those moments. Just to hold myself accountable, I had to go on Twitter in week one and make my picks for all the divisions and then some of the awards around the league. And I, I got five of the eight division champions right. But I took a lot of grief for two things that I put on Twitter, which I have to take accountability for. I picked the Carolina Panthers to get a wild card (laughs) in the (laughs) NFC. And I picked Bryce Young as my offensive rookie of the year. Got got slaughtered at the time that I made the pick. I just picked the wrong rookie quarterback 
to make that meteoric leap. Uh, it, it had it had it been you. You imagine the grief I would have taken if I had picked C.J. Stroud and to win Offensive Rookie of the Year and the Texans to make the playoffs back in September. Oh so my I, gosh! I'm giving myself a little bit of an out because I just picked the wrong quarterback, just like the Panthers did. I picked the wrong quarterback to 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 make the huge leap as a rookie. Uh, but I will take that L and I will take accountability for it, so people don't think that we only pull out our highlights. If you would have picked C.J. Stroud and the Texans to get to the playoffs and he would be the offensive rookie of the year, people would have thought you were crazy because there's no way that a rookie quarterback could be plopped into a team with a good defense. And that a just def- won three games. Yeah. Three-game season, three-win season with a defensive head coach. They're not going anywhere. How could you envision that? Yeah, I wish – had I gotten that one right, there would have been a Hong Kong ceremony for an entire yeah. episode here. But so it would be, and off we go. That's fun. Predictions are fun. Uh, and, and, and I want to get – we'll wrap up on this point because I'm kind of curious. You brought it up the, brought up the Texans, and it reminded me. Um, beyond our predictions and looking back, looking ahead, this hiring cycle, uh, I mentioned what the Seahawks had did. I mentioned Dan Quinn going to Washington with McDonald and Quinn – Raheem Morris in Atlanta. Uh, we see Sean McDermott keep his job in Buffalo. You've got May Eberflus in Chicago. Dan, in, in this offensive revolution with all the hot shot coordinators like Ben Johnson, like Bobby Sloak Jr., teams are, I mean, what's going on with this trend toward, I don't know if it's a trend, but there have been a lot of defensive-minded head coaches hired this cycle, and they joined several that have kept their jobs. It's a good question, and I don't have a real concise or clear answer for you at this time. Probably worth looking into it. Also, you have to see how it plays out and how these guys do and where they're going to be. I think the one thing that has become more and more apparent the longer I've been in the league is how much quicker uh, teams are willing to pull the plug on everything. You you have that stat circulating around this month that there's been zero offensive coordinators that have been in their role for uh, longer than since 2021. Right. And so you're, so when you have this turnover at that position, you don't have the depth of candidates that, that maybe you once had on the offensive side of the ball. And so it gets a little bit uh, swirly and there's people changing buildings every other year and it's it's hard to get a a full uh a a full picture of what's happening here it's really interesting i i've been waiting for dan quinn to get his next opportunity i think it's gonna be really interesting to see how he does in a revamped washington organization that guy is really really well respected around the league obviously was within a quarter of winning a super bowl in atlanta and then things went went haywire at the hands of brady and belichick um but that one that one's the last hire of the cycle is, is one that's really fascinating because I, I think he's got an opportunity to, to really get them some, some juice and momentum. Also because typically you see change in styles from one coach fired to the next coach hired. They replaced in Washington Ron Rivera with yeah. Dan Quinn. Very similar profiles, guys who had come from you know previous head coaching experience, defensive-minded guys, similar personality types. And yet you don't see uh, a big contrast in those two in terms of their their approach to to being a head coach. Well, and they were they were the team that was also uh, presumably hottest on the trail of, of Ben Johnson. And so that was a, a right. little curveball this week for that to, to go in that different direction. Uh, Dan Quinn, obviously a finalist for the Bears job a couple of years ago and now gets a, a chance to, to reboot in Washington. I want to ask you one more question regarding the Packers. And we're talking about defensive coordinators. They made a very interesting hire. 
and this is not uh, take the SEC or take the <laughs> ACC or the Big Ten. This is not a college football podcast, but I do find it fascinating what's going on in college football and how, in this case, it affects the NFL and specifically the division. Jeff Halfley was the head football coach at Boston College. He's now the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. That's a big change because typically you don't see coaches from Power 5 programs leaving those jobs where they're little fiefdoms and they're going to be an assistant coach in the NFL. What's changed? Well, you saw it happen at Buffalo. You saw it happen at South Alabama. Those head coaches left for coordinator jobs at Alabama, and you're going to see it more often. The rise of the NIL and how difficult the transfer portal is to navigate has made being a head coach not all it's cracked up to be. You're developing players in many cases to star at other programs that they transfer to in their fourth and fifth season. So basically what's happening sometimes is, number one, it's hard to just keep everything straight and to get the financing to be competitive. You need a general manager. You need a cap guy in college football. But also, you're basically a minor league development system for the teams that are going to actually make the college football playoff. So if you're Jeff Halfley, for instance, you look at Boston College, if I get my quarterback to the point where he's second team all ACC, he's a senior with one year of eligibility remaining, he's not coming back to get you over the top. He's leaving for Clemson to win a national title. So you're going to see more of this happen until they start to regulate these things closer in college football. And Boston College's loss is the Green Bay Packers gain because Halfley and, and Matt LaFleur apparently have a relationship. He was on Dave Wanstead's staff at Pittsburgh. He's a very good football coach, and now he's a Packers D.C. Well, hopefully whoever the Bears choose to play quarterback for them will be able to figure out the defense that Jeff Halfley throws at them because that's been a problem here throughout the entirety of my time on the Bears beat. Uh, no matter who uh, is coordinating the Packers, the Bears tend to struggle to, uh, to score many points, and they often get – outscored by whoever's playing quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> well, that was fun. Looking back at our predictions, looking ahead at what's next in the Bears speculation season and senior bowl this weekend. We're only weeks away from the NFL combine in Indianapolis. There'll be a lot of conversations along the way, a lot of transition tag, uh, franchise tag conversation as it pertains to Jalen Johnson. Anything else, Dan, that we forgot to mention before we get out of here? I'm going to drop one, since this is a predictions podcast that we revisit, I'm going to drop one prediction here at the end of this episode, and we'll be able to pull this back up in a few months. I'm predicting that the Bears are going to play in the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio, the first week of August. I'm predicting that they're going to have multiple Hall of Famers being enshrined, and they're going to have the number one pick in the draft playing, and that the NFL is not going to be able to resist the urge to have buses from Chicago to Canton, Ohio, turning that part of the Midwest into Bears territory for three or four days. So you heard it here first with uh, th that prediction that uh, you better get your credential requests in, David. You better start making your hotel reservations. That's my prediction here on the first day of uh, February. I love that prediction. I know it's kind of an odd thing, and the season starts even earlier, but in 2018, they played there when Brian Erlacher was inducted. And Matt Nagy's first preseason game as a coach, too. That was Matt Nagy's first game, you're right, uh, as the Bears head coach. And I don't even remember who they played, but I remember being there because Erlacher got uh, inducted, and that was quite an event. But you're I think right. Javon Next, Wims scored a touchdown in that game. We could look that up. Javon Wims? <laughs> yeah. Who did he who did he punch to get past to catch that pass? That was pre-punching. Oh, pre okay. That was pre-punching. That's a good call, though, because next week is a big week potentially 
for the Chicago Bears tradition. You could see as many as three former Bears, Julius Peppers, Devin Hester, and of course, Steve Mongo McMichael, who I think it's going to be a lock. That's going to be a lot of uh, fun to talk about, hopefully, next week when we receive news that people in Chicago... Keep in mind, that prediction is not self-serving because that ends my summer a week early because it means the Bears training camp report date would be a week early, and that's a a little bit of a depressing thing for NFL writers to have to... To abruptly stop things in mid-July, but that's that's where Canton, I see it's going. Canton is lovely in mid-July. It's such, a lo- such a great place. So it's such a great place. <laughs> All right, that's a good prediction. I like it. I'll have to think about that, and we'll have to address it next week. So, for soothsayer and prescient Adam Studzinski, our producer, and for Dan Weeder, I'm David Hoff. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app. Thank you for watching on 670 The Score on the YouTube page. We will talk to you next week. We'll have more news, speculation, and more predictions. Talk to you then. Great talk to you out there.